Hi, I'm Dr. Nick Verma. I'm the Director of Sports Medicine at Rush University Medical Center and Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, and I'm the head team physician for the Chicago White Sox. And you're listening to Interview with the Surgeon with the Surgeon Agent. On this episode of Interview with the Surgeon, we welcome Dr. Nico Verma, Director of the Division of Sports Medicine and Director of the Sports Medicine Fellowship Program at Rush. In addition, he serves as team physician for the Chicago White Sox and Chicago Bulls and Nazareth Academy. Currently, Dr. Verma maintains an active clinical practice performing over 500 procedures per year. Dr. Verma is actively involved in orthopedic research with interest in basic science, biomechanics, and clinical outcomes, and has recently received funding for his work from Major League Baseball. He has authored multiple peer-reviewed manuscripts in major orthopedic and sports medicine journals, numerous book chapters, and routinely serves as teaching faculty for orthopedic courses on advanced surgical techniques. He frequently serves as an invited speaker or guest surgeon for national and international orthopedic sports medicine meetings. Dr. Verma serves as associate editor of the Orthoscopy Journal and on the editorial board of the Journal of Knee Surgery. He's a member of the American Orthopedic Society for Sports Medicine, American Shoulder and Elbow Society, Orthoscopy Association of North America, Major League Baseball Team Physician Association, and is a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. He has been elected by his peers to Best Doctors in America every year since 2007. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Interview with the Surgeon. Today, we have Dr. Nick Verma. Doc, how are we doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. So let's just jump right into it. What were your goals and aspirations during your residency, and how did those change throughout your fellowship? Yeah, it's a great question. First of all, I just want to congratulate you on, um, on this series. It's an amazing um, asset to physicians as they grow and mature and start their practices. It's certainly something that I would look back on and have benefited from um, at the time of my transition. And it really is a, a black hole in terms of medical education in that we really don't provide any educational benefits or, or uh, focus to our young residents, our fellows, as they go into the job search and learn how do we become practicing physicians. So I think it's an amazing uh, piece of work that you're doing. Um, when I look back upon my residency and fellowship, I think I was like most surgeons or physicians at that point in that I was just looking to get a job. I mean, you know, you're finishing residency, you're finishing your fellowship, you're worried about all the clinical aspects of practice. How am I going to be on my own? Am I comfortable with doing the surgeries? Am I going to take good care of my patients? How do I minimize my complications? Everything that we do during our training is focused on the medical side and being the best doctors that we can. And so I think one of the real problems is it's hard for us to see beyond that as we start moving through residency and into fellowship and into a job search. And you're just worried about having a job and a signed contract by the time that you're done with fellowship. So you've got a place to go next, right? That's kind of been the focus for all of us during all of our steps of our education is from um, undergrad, you're looking at how do I get into medical school? Medical school, you're looking at how do I get a residency? Residency, you're looking at fellowship and fellowship, you're just looking at getting a job. So um, I think that uh, for me, my aspirations initially were just to get into a sports medicine uh, fellowship type position. And then from there to get into a clinical practice. I think I was fortunate in that I, I was able to, to secure a job in a place that ultimately became an amazing place for me to develop a practice. Um, I think what it did do for me was to allow me to take a step back and start to think about, okay, if I'm going to look at practice, I need to start thinking about practice types, which is, do I want to be an employed physician? Do I want to be a private practitioner? Do I want to be into a, a small size group, a medium size group, or a large size group? Do I want to look at a multi-specialty type application or a single specialty type group? 
Um, and I think it challenged me to start learning about each of those opportunities and what may be the pluses and minuses. Uh, and then on a broader scale, I think it, it really calls on you to evaluate your life in general, which is, am I married? Am I single? What is my spouse or significant other thing? Uh, am I looking to have kids or not have kids? Where are family environments? What type of geographic location is, is uh, beneficial to me? So you start thinking about all of those peripherals that go into how do I find out, finally settle on a, a job now, when you were in your fellowship and you were going through the job search process for the first time, you know, how did that perspective change in the beginning years of your career? So, you know, I trained at Rush University Medical Center. I went away from my fellowship at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. And um, as I left Rush, I was actually offered a job to come back and, and take a, a position as a staff surgeon at Rush. And so I already had that opportunity in offer on the table and also had kind of that as a backstop or a backdrop on which to compare other offers. Um, and so from there, I went through the process that I just described, which is I started thinking geographically about what areas are most suitable for me and my family. And then uh, for my own uh, benefit, I started looking at jobs that were very unlike the job at Rush. So I interviewed at a couple um, private practices. I interviewed at a couple uh, hospital employee type positions. And those were the basis on which I could kind of compare the different types of clinical practices that were available to me. Um, and, and in doing so, it really helped me to learn about myself, to learn about the different practice types, and to recognize uh, that, the, that the practice at Rush, which is kind of an academic private practice hybrid, uh, was going to be the best model for me to achieve my career goals. So what would you say were some of the keys to your success that shaped your early career as you climbed to the top of the industry? So I think there were a couple things. Number one, um, it was solid mentorship. Uh, I think that that's a factor that's important for young surgeons to look at as they're looking for job opportunities. I don't think it was one that I considered in moving into this practice, but one that I was fortunate to have around me. But you really cannot underestimate the same way that if you think back upon your medical education and why you're in orthopedics and why you're in sports medicine, um, you know, there were people that strongly influenced you along the way to help guide you to end up in those fields. There are people that will influence you as you go into practice that will help guide you in terms of how to develop a practice and how to do all of the other things that may or may not be important to you, whether that's research or academic participation or team physician coverage. So I think you need to think about all of those different aspects of, of being uh, an orthopedic surgeon. Some of them may apply to you, some of them may not. But if you have specific interests, I think it's important for you to identify mentors early on um, and to seek them out and to utilize their, um, their knowledge base and their experience uh, to help you to develop your career as you move along in all of those various different categories. Now, were you always focused on the academic route or did you have, always have intentions of having a private practice sector to it as well? Yeah, no, my practice was always um, clinically based and even today, you know, I, I do about 750 procedures per year, so I, I'm still a very busy clinician. Uh, for me, um, research was really about asking questions um, and seeing problems in a clinical practice and being frustrated in the fact that sometimes we couldn't do better um, and really wanting to say to myself, is what we're doing working? If it's not working, why? And what can we do better to improve um, the quality of outcomes for our patients? And so for me, um, my passion for clinical care is what developed my passion for translational research, uh, which was to take all of these great people that we have at Rush and to put together our knowledge and experience and begin to say, how can we really influence the field 
to take the clinical problems that we're dealing with, um, that we know our fellow colleagues across the country and across the world are dealing with, ask the appropriate clinical questions, and uh, not only develop better care for ourselves and our patients, but share that knowledge base with, with uh, all of our colleagues around uh, internationally. Now, with your involvement with the RUSH program there, what type of advice do you give to chief residents and graduating fellows as they enter the professional job market search for the first time? So I think I give them the advice that I just talked about, which is you've got to start looking at multiple different um, factors that are going to influence your job uh, search. The first thing to do is to really uh, think about where you want to be. Some people may have geographically locations that very early on narrow their search. Others may say, I want to go with the best opportunity. Number two is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be just a, a straightforward clinical practitioner, which is certainly not a bad thing. I'm not labeling it. I'm just saying, uh, think about the different categories. Do you want to be a, in clinical practice? Is research important to you? Is education important to you? Uh, team position or team coverage important to you? And those are kind of the main uh, aspects of uh, what we think about in terms of uh, clinical care. And then start to narrow your practice search based on which of those uh, categories you need to fill going forward. Now, some conversations that happen a lot with my clients is really talking about being able to rub shoulders with folks like yourself. And obviously now everything is being done virtually and really even all of our national conferences are being done virtually as well. So what type of advice do you have for those graduating residents and fellows that don't have the opportunity to see you face-to-face -face at a meeting and now are really trying to figure it out um, how to do it virtually? Uh, so I, fortunately, as you know, this virtual thing is, is, is a, a passing phase. When we look back on this, you know, it may be a year, it may be two years, but it's going to be a, a short span over what will be a long career for most of the people that are watching this today. Um, I would say that Interestingly, the, the virtual environment, I think, has allowed more access to us, not, not less access to us. And the reason is, you know, I can only be away from my practice or from taking care of the White Sox or other things that I do for two days a month or three days a month. And I've got to split that up between my family, you know, some of the industry relationships that I have, the team coverage that I do, uh, the research activities and, and presentations. But for me to get onto a Zoom meeting like we're doing here today, um, you know, I can do that on an 8.30 at night after the kids are in bed and not feel like I'm taking away from other aspects of my life. And so I feel like I've been doing more um, work with uh, organizations such as the Arthroscopy Association or the American Shoulder Elbow Society or the American Orthopedic Society for Sports Medicine. I feel like I can actually participate more virtually than I can, uh, than I could when we were doing an online presence. So what I would suggest to, um, to people who are watching today is, there are multiple opportunities out there to uh, get in front of people like me or other uh, mentors in the field, to learn from them, to ask questions, uh, and to solicit their experience and knowledge to help you grow your practice. You just have to seek them out. Um, just a couple of examples, myself and my partner, Dr. Brian Cole, who's the head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, uh, we're doing a happy hour uh, with fellows and young physicians in practice through the Arthroscopy Association on August 12th. Um, the same thing happens at the annual meeting for the Arthroscopy Association. I participate as a mentor in the American Shoulder Elbow Society, where we get paired up with young individuals who are in shoulder elbow and growing their practice. Uh, the Orthopedic uh, Association for Sports Medicine has the same type of programs. So they're out there, um, and these opportunities to learn, and whether it's practice development, social media, marketing, uh, financial aspects of private practice, there are more and more opportunities growing to learn about these different types of aspects of developing your practice. 
I don't think they existed 15 years ago, but they exist now. Uh, and I would encourage all of your listeners to, to seek them out and take advantage of those uh, different venues. Now, through our mutual friend, who's also my mentor, Dennis Gilbert, who's a special assistant to Jerry Reinsdorf, can you kind of tell us about your involvement with the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Bulls? Sure. So, you know, team coverage is obviously something that uh, many of us in sports medicine are passionate about. It's frankly the reason that many of us go into sports medicine, which is to help take care of athletes and to take care of athletes at an elite level is uh, for us being in, uh, you know, in the pros, so to speak, that's our major league or NFL or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so for me, being part of an environment that participated in team care was an important aspect. Now, admittedly, when I started out, um, I started out being the team head team position for a local high school. Um, and I think that that did two things for me. Number one is it's a great way to learn about what being a team physician is really all about because you're the be all end all. You're making the decisions. You're determining return to play. You're making week to week decisions on athletes and their care. And that's at the end of the day, similar in doing it in a high school level as it is as we move to the collegiate level and then finally to the professional level. There are added complexities as you start dealing with people like yourself in your former life where you have agents and management and owners that, that are, uh, need to be apprised. You know, there are different aspects of taking care of a professional athlete regarding whether they're in season or out of season, where they are in their uh, career, beginning of career, mid-career, end of career, where they are in a contract timeline. All those types of things play a role where they may not in the high school, but the medicine's the medicine at the end of the day. The second advantage for me of taking care of a high school was it gave me roots within the community. So all of a sudden now you're the head team physician for the high school. You may be taking care of the player, but the player's got a brother or their dad's got a sore shoulder or grandma needs a hip replacement or what have you. It really, much more so than being in the pros, which is a nice marketing effort, it really gives you roots within a community where you can become um, accepted as, a, as an expert in the field. And so I would encourage all of your young members to seek that out what I talked about earlier, which was to get involved in team coverage uh, under the tutelage of a, of a senior surgeon or somebody who has experience at the collegiate level or at the professional level, because there's a lot of learning that needs to be done to handle all the different aspects of care that I just referenced. And so when I came into this practice, I had the opportunity to do that under Dr. Chuck Lestosef, who was the head team physician for the White Sox at the time that I started, and Brian Cole, who was the head team physician for the Chicago Bulls at the time I started. Um, and so I had the opportunity to work with them and learn under them um, to be able to be involved in the athlete's care, but ultimately not the one who was directly responsible for making the final decision at the end of the day. Uh, and so in, in being there and participating and learning, um, that's when the opportunity comes around that when those people are ready to step aside um, and Chuck Rishtosef was, uh, was ready to step down as the head team physician, I moved into that role. Brian Cole is still the head team physician for the NBA. But the other thing I learned is that especially when you get to seasons like the NBA or, or MLB, where there are multiple games over a long period of time, not one person can't do it alone. It's a team effort. And so if you're willing to step up and be part of that team, you're not looking for the glory or the name recognition. You just want to learn and, and provide good work. There are people who are looking for good help that will allow you uh, to participate with them. I think one of the keys is to make sure that you do it on a non-threatening basis. Like I said, you want to establish a relationship with a mentor. You want to go to them and say, hey, I'm really impressed by the work that you're doing. I want to learn. I'm taking care of a high school, but I want to learn how to be a better team physician. I ultimately want to move to a collegiate level and maybe have an opportunity in the pros. Can I come work with you and see what you do? 
Um, and I think if you do that, most of us are very receptive to bringing in new people to the best of our ability um, to, to, to teach that skill set. Uh, because at the end of the day, we need to develop the next generation of team physicians as well. Now, I know that you're involved in a private practice. Can you kind of talk to us about what advice you give to the young surgeons regarding the employment physician model or the private practice model? Sure. I think that that's one of the most critical decisions that uh, young physicians need to make. Um, and as you probably know, uh, one of the most alarm alarming statistics that I share with our physicians is that uh, the likelihood of a physician remaining at their first job after five to seven years is only about 50%. So there is some trial and error that, that goes on here. And the other thing I share with them is you say, okay, I spent three years at a job. It wasn't right. I'm going to move on to the next job. I only lost three years. But really the way you need to look at it is, is just like a professional athlete does. If, if you miss that second contract or you miss that final contract, you're not losing three years of your initial income. You're losing three years on the back end, which is timeframes when you are going to be the most productive that you are. So there really is a, a very strong um, impetus to try to really find the, the, the ideal situation at the front end and not spend five years figuring out that you're in the wrong situation. Now, you can't always do that, but I think physicians need to be cognizant of the fact that, that a wrong decision does cost them some significant um, time in practice development time and uh, maturation of their skill set, and at the end of the day, a, a big cost on a financial side as well. Um, I think the first thing to do is to think about what are you willing to do and wh where's your commitment and what's important to you going forward, right? Some people say, um, I'm a young father or mother. My commitment over the next 10 to 15 years is to be available and going to my son or daughter's basketball game or soccer game. I need a very defined uh, timeline uh, for work hours. I need a very defined uh, timeline, all schedules, things like that. And that's fine. Many, for many people, that's the quality of life that they prefer. And for, for them, that's important. I think those types of people do exceedingly well in a employed model where they can essentially leave the management to somebody else. They don't have to worry about their front desk person not showing up and how they're going to find a replacement. Uh, in many of those positions, the, the referrals just start coming in because you've got a large primary care base that's involved through the hospital or the medical practice, and they're just going to start sending you patients. And you can concentrate on just developing your skill set um, and all of the things that you enjoy or that are important to you outside of medicine. For other people, they feel that the employed physician model is very constricting. The downside of the employed physician model is you don't have a lot of control over the general aspects of your practice. You're not hiring and firing the person who's answering the phone. You're not hiring and firing the people who are showing up at your front desk. You're not setting the policies regarding which patients you will see and which patients you won't see or what happens when a patient shows up 20 minutes late uh, for their appointment. Um, so you lose a little bit of that personal touch in order to be able to, to um, define your practice and control the growth of your practice and really navigate um, what you wanna see and what you don't wanna see. Uh, to me, as I was growing a practice, what was really important to me was to provide a customer service experience, right? And I think that's what's missing in a lot of healthcare. And so, my ability not to control the person who was answering the phone, who was going to give my patients a positive experience or a negative experience, that's a significant downside to me. And so that was something that was important and led me into the private practice field. The other thing that I think is important for physicians to know is that uh, there are a lot of things that are important financially within orthopedic surgery that uh, don't exist in an employed model. And by that, I mean, is remember, you're the center, you're the quarterback of musculoskeletal health. And around musculoskeletal health, outside of what you do as a physician, 
includes all the other things that we do in taking care of patients. That's diagnostic imaging, MRI and CT scans. That's physical therapy and rehab or things like work conditioning for work injuries. That's performance enhancement for patients that are going back to sport um, or are returning to play service, which is the facility side of the equation. So for many of us, we do most of our procedures on an, in an ambulatory care setting. So these are all things that are uh, potentially directly under your control in a private practice setting. In an, in an employed model setting, they're under somebody else's control, which means you don't get to access uh, the financial benefits and you also don't get to uh, control the patient experience from those. So I think it's important for physicians to realize the opportunity that exists in, in terms of delivering the quality of patient care that they're looking for, as well as the financial upside of being in control of the ancillary environment and the verticals that are created by a single orthopedic surgeon and the downside of losing control over that or not having access to those financials as they go to an employed model. And at the end of the day, again, it just comes down to making a decision about what's important to you and finding the best fit based on those preferences. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Interview with the Surgeon. Until next time, stay focused and keep following your dreams.